tuning in to episode 68 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anybody that you know, anybody that you're working with is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And the forum is is up and going. It's it's uh it's kind of going crazy right now. So please go to tonyoverbay.com. There's a little link up there, a tab, I believe. Um, that just says forum, and that is available to anybody. It's free. It's anonymous. It's open to anybody who's looking for a community of support for people who are looking for tools, accountability partners, um, just support for overcoming pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior. And we have to take the stigma away, take the guilt and shame away. Um, pornography is here. It's uh, it's an epidemic. It's a plague. And now the data is there, not just for people who maybe feel like, you know, it's a religious institutions that say pornography is bad, but uh, it's warping sexuality. I've done, I've done episodes on this. Um, the uh, There's just a lot of data now there that is, is present with divorces, where a large percentage, over 50% of divorces now, there's a component of pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior. Um, but so please, I mean, if you, if that is still something that people struggle with, um, if you always say, okay, this is the last time I'm never going to go look again, uh, check out path back, check out pathbackrecovery.com, go to the forum because it it's, uh, abs- I've worked with over a thousand people with this literally. And it's just absolutely freeing when people get that completely in their rear view mirror and, uh, and realize that uh, kind of the effect that that uh, pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior had on them. Um, there is a way out. So please visit pathbackrecovery.com. Okay, story time. Uh, to start this episode off, I want to talk about over the last weekend. I was in San Diego with my uh, wife and my son. We were there for a basketball tournament. He was participating in the California State Games. That was a blast. Uh, what, a, what a great, well-put-on event. Opening ceremonies, uh, skydivers, inspirational speakers, fireworks, and then some really good games. They took the bronze, and that was a blast. But when we were getting ready to leave on the weekend, we go to in and out so those of you on the East Coast, maybe around the world, it really in and out is kind of what it's, it's if you've heard about it, it's, a, it's an amazing, um, inexpensive, fast food, fresh hamburger place. So we go there and we order. Each one of us kind of gets our own burger and we, uh, we're kind of picky. We're, we're maybe fry snobs a little bit. So my wife gets light fries, if you even knew that was a thing. I, I kind of joke that they just cut the potato and kind of show it the, the, the oil. Um, I do mine well done, like them crispy, almost like a chip. And of course, my teenage boy son who burns a zillion calories a day gets animal style fries, which have all kinds of cheese and sauce and spread and that sort of thing on them. So we get our order and we're sitting there. It's one of the most crowded in and outs I've ever seen, I think, in my entire life. It's kind of close to the San Diego airport. And we're waiting for our order, or order number 67. So they call our order and my son goes up to get the order and he just says, hey, dad, that guy just took off with our order. And so I look and there's a guy that's carrying out our trays. I mean, and, and we got the stuff to eat there at the restaurant, um, not to go. So it's not in a bag. They're in these nice plastic trays. And I see a guy heading outside. And I don't know what possessed me. My wife still thinks it was crazy that I did this. But I go up to the guy and I say, hey, excuse me, but I, uh, you actually grabbed our order. We're order number 67. That's our fries there. That's our. And he just said, 
no, I didn't. This uh, we're number sixty three, and then he just walked out the door. And we watched then as he basically takes those that tray of food, uh, has a couple little kids with him, and he just hops in a uh, a big giant Ford Expedition. And much to the what appears to be kind of laughter of his wife, he hands her a burger. They look at their haul, and then they take off. So I kind of go up to the counter and I just say, I I just got duped. I mean, somebody just stole my food. And I kind of share with the guy and the guy's like, I'm so sorry, sir. We'll remake your order. And I think because of how busy it was, it took quite a while. But we sat there and it, and it led to a conversation that my wife and I have often um, of what what is your integrity worth? You know, what? So to that person, and again, they had their kids there. And uh, and, and I trust me, I want to have a tremendous amount of empathy. I wanted to say, oh my gosh, these people are on their last leg and they're starving and this was the only way that they knew to eat. And it was hard to say that because of watching the the look on their face as they jumped in their nice car and drove away with our, our bounteous feast of um, specially cooked fries from In-N-Out. So I want to put that in there for anybody that's that's kind of saying, okay, you know, we don't know what everyone's going through because I preach that as well. So I, I want to say, okay, you bet that could have been a position that they were in and they need to do that. But let's look at the concept of integrity. What is your integrity worth? You know, so in that scenario, it was worth $19 and 19 cents. So that's uh, at that point, then they didn't pay for the food and their kids were there with them and everybody got a big laugh out of it and they left. So what does that teach their kids? Um, how do they feel about themselves? That was my wife's question. She said, do they feel good when they leave? And I said, man, it's hard because we're trying to judge that through our own moral compass, you know, our own core beliefs and values and goals. And then it, it kind of just led to us talking about, you know, when we have these conversations often is what is your integrity worth? Um, I remember still early on in my life, actually, I think I was married and getting extra change, going through a drive through going home and saying to my wife, check this out. You know, look what happened. I think it was like three or four extra dollars. And my wife saying, well, you give that back. Right. And I remember thinking I just scored, you know, and, and, that, and that's where she even said, hey, what's she? So is your integrity worth three or four dollars? You know, is that the story you want to kind of tell from the pulpit one day of, you know, I remember the time when I scored an extra three dollars. You know, over the course of my life now, I have gained 20s of dollars. You know, is that what your integrity is worth? Um, buy any child's ticket at the movie theater. Nowadays, we like the book online. You can pick your seats, which I absolutely love because I hate saving seats. Um, but, uh, you know, you can easily click there. Student or, you know, I'm pushing, I'm close to 50, uh, close enough to 65. Am I a senior citizen? So is that worth the extra $2 savings? What's your integrity worth? Um I have to tell a quick story as well. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas with uh, with my son. We were we were watching the um, NBA Summer League, kind of becoming a, a dad son trip, which I just absolutely enjoy. We're on the last day of our trip, and I'm on a rental car, and uh, it's 115 degrees in Vegas at that point. And which a fun side note, we put a bag of Skittles out in the car and wanted to see if it would melt in a gelatinous glob, but it did not. They still maintained their shape um, even after a day in 115 deg- degree heat. But we were going to park, and I see this parking garage, and it's near where we're going to watch the games. And we're going to watch about six or seven games that day is the way the summer league works. One one price of admission, you can kind of watch all these different games. So I wanted to park in the shade. I go to this parking garage, and I still don't even know what I did. I kind of made a, a, a very impulsive move, and I turned very hard to the right when I realized I wasn't where I needed to be. And I, I, it felt like I had ran over a curb. And I even said to my son, oh, my gosh, I think I ran over a curb. And he's like, Dad, you just scraped the whole side of the car um, on this big yellow pole. And so I get out and look. And sure enough, I mean, and I even grabbed a little uh, 
napkin thing I had and thought, I can just buff it out. I'm not buffing. You know, you can't buff out running the side of the car along this big yellow pole. Um, but, but I remember at that moment kind of thinking my, one of my thoughts was, okay, how do I frame this so that, you know, this didn't happen to me. Um, someone, what did they, they hit me with a pole or, you know, I even thought, okay, somebody jumped out in front of me and I was trying to avoid them. And I was trying to think of these things. And I thought, what's my integrity worth? I mean, I, I have insurance and man, fun fact here. I honestly don't ever get the extra insurance. And um, we were going on, it was a pretty long road trip. We had rented a car just to, to drive, save my car the miles. And uh, last minute, I chose the full coverage option on the rental car um, as I was getting one online. So I thought that was kind of neat, little uh, little inspiration, a little tender mercy there. Um, but I thought to myself again, what's my integrity worth? My son is right here. And is he going to take away from this? That time that dad made up the story, to try to get out of, you know, I don't know what the eventual damage would be or the time that he sees his dad kind of own up and say, hey, I did that, you know. And so obviously I thought, okay, hey, what's my integrity worth? I'm going to own this. And I have to tell you a very quick mindfulness example, which I just, I love when you can put this, the mindfulness practices into place. So that happened and I felt bad. I mean, I'm human, right? I'm going to have these emotions. And I felt bad about running the side of the car along this yellow pole and knowing that I'm going to have to deal with this. But I also thought I've got my son here. We're on the last day of this vacation and uh, and we have all these games to watch. So I thought um, at this point, getting down on myself, mad at myself, not productive thoughts. So those thoughts are going to come. You bet they are. But so are a lot of other thoughts about uh, having fun with my son and watching basketball games and eating a bunch of junk in the, at the basketball game. And so those are the more productive thoughts. So when those negative thoughts would come in about, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. Um, I would just, you know, stay present, focus, be aware, and then just try to move those thoughts on through, focus on the game, focus on my son, ask him a question, kind of distract myself, that sort of thing. And we had an amazing time and, and uh, I ended up talking to my insurance and and re- returning the rental car. And they were so kind, you know, they, they said, hey, we see this multiple times every day. You're okay. Um, but, uh, and I have to tell you too, I love when I can make my son laugh. You know, he's a a 14-year-old boy, um, taller than me, uh, just very, very cool. Um, and so it's hard to get him to laugh at times. And so I'm on the phone with my insurance uh, company when I'm getting ready to, when we're, when we're heading back to the airport at this point. And uh, they said, the guy said, uh, is anything hurt or is anyone hurt? And I just said out loud, only my ego. And that one got a little chuckle out of my son, which just made me so happy. So, so kind of digging a little deeper into this concept of integrity. I want to talk about integrity. I'm going to, I'm going to touch on character. I'm going to touch on personality. So, uh, you know, follow me here for a little bit. So integrity, and you can find a lot of quotes that kind of say similar things, but I found that author C.S. Lewis said that integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is looking. And I've heard that attributed to, I think, Winston Churchill, Oprah Winfrey, I mean, a lot of different people. But I love that concept that integrity is doing the right thing even when nobody is looking. So we kind of look at integrity and we can define that as it's one of these foundational principles, this foundational moral virtue. And it's, and it is the, it's kind of the, I saw a quote that said it was the bedrock upon which good character is built. Because when you act with integrity, it means that you are, you, you are aware, you're accepting, understanding, you're choosing to live in accordance with your principles, which in these principles that are kind of underlying this bedrock underneath integrity are things like honesty or fairness or decency, the things that kind of really make society go. So a person of integrity will consistently demonstrate good character by, you know, they may feel the desire or the impulse to act 
out of character or without integrity, but they're coming back to this just being free of corruption, free of hypocrisy, because that integrity is what guides them. So when we show our integrity, we're acting virtuously regarding, again, who else is looking, regardless, and here's the key too, regardless of whether or not it's going to further our best interest. We, we, when we act with integrity, oftentimes, I mean, you know, I tell that story of the rental car. Now, I firmly believe that that makes me human. And I hope that that, that other people say, wow, okay, you know, it's okay to own things like that. But there are other people that are going to say, what an idiot. You know, I've never wrecked my rental car. And you know what? Good for you. Um, if that's kind of where you're coming from. But again, uh, if my core belief value or goal is honesty, um, then when I am acting in uh, with integrity, then I am going to, I mean, I don't care if I'm, I have a podcast or I'm, if I'm telling a friend or if not, um, I'm going to kind of own that behavior that I did. So, and this requires, most of the time it's going to require moral courage because you don't, again, you don't always quote win in the traditional sense of the word, or you get ahead or be viewed by the masses as better than you're not at times when you act with integrity. Um, but at your core, you know that what you did is true. It's true to you. And I'm telling you in the long run and our journey to being authentic um, in our journey to kind of just being comfortable in our own skin. In the long run, you only have yourself to live with. And this is that concept I think that I try to tell my kids a lot, where when yeah, my wife uh, will maybe laugh about this one, but we went to a restaurant pretty late as it was closing. And and man, I ate horrible on this trip. I'm not going to lie. This place had French fries and tater tots. So you kind of got to have both, right? But I remember the tater tots the last minute. And I'm, I'm texting my wife because my son and I were getting something else. And I'm saying, hey, uh, do you want to maybe get some tots as well? And she's replying, you bet. I'll do it. And I think I threw something else out there. And then she's like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to bug them. I don't want to go back in, up in order again. And, and bless her heart because I think in her core goal, value, or belief is, is just wanting, you know, people to get along peacefully, to not feel um, burdened or overwhelmed. She's so kind. My wife has kindness just exudes from her. In my mind, I wanted to say, I wanted to kind of, of course, in my mind, say, jokingly say that, yeah, because when they see you tomorrow, they're going to say, man, I can't believe you came up and ordered again. Um, but, but I mean, that's, that's me. I mean, that was, uh, you know, that's on me. My wife's core belief value or goal is just this overall kindness, not wanting to put others out. Uh, they, I mean, basically the restaurant had closed. So she, she already felt bad of coming in there with a couple of minutes to go. So I love that. I didn't want to compromise her integrity, her goals or her values or her beliefs. But, but my, my point there is that you only have yourself to live with. And I think when you kind of think in these terms that a lot of times we do worry about what other people will think. Well, we're, if we're acting within, uh, with integrity, with kind of reaching within our core values, beliefs, and goals, then that does lead to a very healthy way to say that I'm not as concerned about what other people think if I'm, if I'm coming from this place of integrity. Um, I want to, let me break down this for a second. Well, actually first, this is, okay, this is, uh, this is one of the things that I think is kind of fun to talk about. I was looking at, I was looking up some studies that maybe show how, um, examples of how you can view integrity. And this one isn't entirely dead on, but I love this study. There's a study that is called, uh, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this was by two Princeton social psychologists, John Darley and Daniel Batson. And this was back in 1973. The title of the paper, you can Google it, is From Jerusalem to Jericho. I'll tell you, if you just Google Jerusalem to Jericho, you'll get a whole bunch of tour sites and um, things that are going to tell you how far that actually is. But if you've ever heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan, and you can read it in the Bible, it's in Luke chapter 10. Uh, I think it's around verse 30 or 29, 29 through 37. 
The gist is that a traveler had been attacked by robbers. He had been stripped of his clothes. He'd been beaten. He'd been left on the side of the road between, between Jerusalem and Jericho. And so this man was clearly in need of some help. So in the parable, first, a priest walks by and doesn't help him. And then a Levite, and I'll quote Wikipedia here to give a definition. In Jewish tradition, a Levite is a member of the Israelite tribe of Levi, descendant from Levi, the third son of Jacob, and Leah. So this person walks by and also fails to help. Then a Samaritan walks by and he actually lends a hand. So for context, uh, actually, let me, let me kind of do a deep dive if you're okay about this. Um, I guess you don't have a choice, right? You're listening to my podcast. I guess you can fast forward. You, you really can. But this is kind of fascinating. So good Samaritans. So no doubt we've kind of heard of that ter- term good Samaritan. And today they're the people who rescue people from burning homes or rescuing kittens out of a tree or pulling people out of an overturned vehicle or, you know, helping an old lady cross the street. Those are Good Samaritans. But so we owe that concept of Good Samaritan to this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan that, uh, that is found in the book of Luke. But he, Luke actually doesn't use the words Good Samaritan, but that's kind of where we go with this story. So here's the, the recap. Here's the kind of the deeper dive on this is that um, Jesus tells this story in response to a lawyer who quizzes Jesus about what he has to do to live forever. So his answer um, Jesus says, love both God and your neighbor. Then the lawyer says, who is my neighbor? And so the story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus's answer. Basically, he's saying everybody, you know, lawyer is your neighbor. But there's much more than just something about this Samaritan who walks by and does something nice, even though he doesn't have to. So oftentimes, I mean, so to really understand what's going on, we need to understand the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. It wasn't good. And in fact, it was, I mean, it was really bad. So the Jews were pretty hostile toward and always kind of suspicious of the Samaritans. So the origin of these tensions is kind of some people debate this, but um, they had already been in place long before Jesus came. So the Samaritans were both religiously and ethnically distinct from the Jews. And I did a a serious deep dive here. So the Samaritans recognized the authority of the first five books of the Hebrew Bible alone. And they considered this place called Mount Gerizim in Samaria to be their sacred center, not Jerusalem. So these people are coming from completely different places, right? So when Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan who gives aid to this injured person, the Samaritan who walks by and helps this injured man, Um, while two Jews, the priest and the Levite, walk right by the guy, he's challenging people to to rethink kind of these deeply ingrained ethnic hostilities. He's saying, love everybody, even the people that we consider to be others. So that's kind of framing what this this Jerusalem to Jericho, that parable the Good Samaritan is saying. So back to the research, back to the study. So years ago, again, 1973, in this this, um, Jerusalem to Jericho study, these psychologists wanted to test a couple of things that might influence this like helping behavior or when you help people. And again, I want to kind of frame this from the concept of integrity. When do you do the right thing? You know, what if your core value, goal, or belief is to help a fellow person or help someone in need, then when would that get compromised? At what point, what is, what is the value of your integrity? So first, these guys tested whether thinking religious thoughts would have any effect on helping. So the assumption here was that just even kind of thinking religious thoughts would inspire this, I will go out and help my fellow man, because what they argued was that many core religious teachings use the compassion and generosity as these kind of cornerstones. So the Good Samaritan parable would suggest that 
that religious thought in particular, because the priest and the Levite walk by, offers no particular benefit to helping. So, the priest, and the thought there is maybe he's thinking about all kinds of religious thoughts or things that he has to get to, or maybe he has other, you know, other things on his mind, other people on his mind, didn't stop, excuse me, didn't stop and help the man. So, they were going to test that, the kind of the thinking religious thoughts. But they also wanted to test the effects of time pressure on the likelihood of helping others. Because I think, and especially nowadays, um, what do you often hear? Man, I'm so busy. I would love to help somebody, but I'm busy. And I've been there. Um, I've been the guy. I love, you know, getting out and pushing a car when it's in the middle of an intersection. But if somebody's broken down on the side of the road, I can often justify that I don't know anything about cars. I still have a hard time. I got to YouTube how to open the hood of a particular car that I have. And, and so I'll often justify, hey, I got things going on. There's somebody who will know more than I will. And, uh, and typically if they, yeah, if I've, if I've got to be somewhere, then that's the icing on the cake. I got to go. So I can't help this person. So looking at that time pressure on our likelihood of helping others. So, um, again, looking back at that parable, a lot of people want to say that the reason why the priest or the Levite didn't stop was probably they were in a greater hurry and they couldn't bother themselves by stopping to help. So as these researchers, Darley and Batson, write, they said, one can imagine the priest and the Levite, prominent public figures, hurrying along with little black books full of meetings and appointments, glancing furtively at their sundials, kind of making the joke. Actually, this is in 1973. Look at that now. Like we're busy, got our faces buried in our uh, phones. So maybe being in a rush then really is detrimental to our desire to help people. Does being in a rush then compromise our integrity? So they tested these questions by not analyzing scriptures or or looking for those kind of clues. Um, But they put these situations, conditions together that were making some people rush and others take their time. And they were making some people think more religious thoughts and others not necessarily so. So testing the Good Samaritan hypothesis in their study, Darley and Batson examined the behavior of Princeton theological seminary students. So a student would arrive for the study and he or she would be given a first set of instructions. So as far as the participant was concerned, this was a study on the vocational careers of seminary students. I love that. And they were being asked to prepare a three to five minute talk about being a minister. So half of the students in the study, they were asked to prepare just about what it means to be a minister and what kind of jobs involve um, ministry, the ministry to some degree. The other half of the students were also given the story of the Good Samaritan, which they would incorporate into their talk. So they were the ones that were going to be more religious, right? They were thinking these religious thoughts, in, in particular, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So these two versions of the activity were used to get people really thinking about religious issues related to helping people. And then in theory, shouldn't that make them more likely to help someone if they see a need? So after they worked on their talk for a bit, the assistant would come in and ask the student to finish working in another room because space was tight in the building that they were in. And the student was given a map that pointed them to a building all the way across campus. And sometimes the student would, uh, I mean, well, or the assistant would say, It'll be a few minutes before they're ready, so you might as well head on over. In other words, there's no rush. You take your time. But other times, the assistant would say, man, you know what? The assistant is ready for you. Can you just hustle? Can you hurry right over? So they would rush them. And for still other students, the assistant would say, oh, my gosh, actually, you are really late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago, so you really need to go. Like, matter of fact, hurry up because you are late. So then along the way, the researchers staged an emergency, which they refer to in their paper as, quote, the incident. Um, An actor was sitting slumped in a doorway, head down, eyes closed, not moving. The actor coughed as the students would walk by. Basically, it looked like the guy could really use some help. So, do the seminary students help the guy? Um, Each time one of the participants would pass the, quote, victim, the actor would rate the participant's response using a six-level scale. So, the lowest score that a person could get meant that he failed to notice the victim possibly in need at all. And a bit higher on the scale was that he stopped and asked if the guy needed help. And the highest score was after stopping, he refused to leave the victim and insisted on taking him somewhere um, outside of the experimental context. So, let's look at what mattered. Did it matter that the students were actively thinking about religious virtue and helping others? 
Amazingly, it didn't. So students who were on, you know, who were on their way to give a talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan were no more likely to give help than students who were going to give an unrelated talk. So even though you would expect that this should have made a difference, there's really no evidence of a difference in helpfulness between these two types of talks. Um, in fact, Darley and Batson wrote, on several occasions, a seminary student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim as he hurried on his way. Hurrying, though, did affect helpfulness. So students who were in a hurry um, much were, were much less helpful toward the man in need compared to the students who weren't in any rush to get to the other building. So when people were too concerned about being late to their meeting, they either didn't notice or they failed to give aid to somebody who could have been dealing with a serious emergency. So in theory, the Darley and Batson feel like they solved the mystery of the Good Samaritan. Um, and, 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 I, and I only bring that because, you know, not trying to make people feel guilty, of course, that's not very productive. But, you know, when we go back to this concept of integrity, um, is that something that, you know, if you kind of stop and take a look at your integrity, do you often compromise your integrity because of things like, I got to get to a meeting? And, and if so, is that something that you might want to take a look at? Uh, we also talk about integrity and character, and I think that they're often used interchangeably. So I kind of wanted to point out the difference. So I, I looked up integrity. Um, one of the definitions says integrity is a steadfast adherence to a strict moral or ethical code. And character is, is that one's moral or ethical code. So an integrity means it's when you are living according to that code. So thus somebody who lives with integrity lives according to their moral values. So the key being that integrity is acting on your moral values. And, and that's to be done at all times. Again, even when nobody's looking, even when it's not always going to make you look good. So your character, that is your, that is your moral or ethical code. Your character is your core values, beliefs, goals, and integrity is acting upon that character. And so I, I hope you'll indulge me here for a minute too. I was looking up some additional quotes and there are some good ones, uh, kind of similar to the ones we've already said. Abraham Lincoln had a good quote that said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And I love that because then with that power comes opportunity or privilege. And then will he still stay true to his character? Will he act with integrity even when he has power? Um, there's a H. Jackson Brown Jr. said, again, what we've heard uh, similar, our character is what we do when we think no one is looking. But I also, if you go back to the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King, there's a section in there where he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So after kind of framing what that what character is, then, I mean, that just took on a whole new meaning for me. That someone, you know, regardless of race, regardless of uh, ethnicity, that we can have a strong character. Our character is uh, this moral or ethical code. The character is to do good, um, to further, you know, the best interest of mankind, to act with honesty, fairness, decency, that those are character traits. And then allowing one to act with integrity um, then is is truly the the key test of our character. Um Hey, let me do uh, something I've never really done in the middle of a podcast. Let me take a quick moment to uh, to do a read for Bloom for Women. Um, remember, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that Bloom offers online programs, expert help, and an empathetic community to help women heal and strengthen and grow past the trauma of infidelity and betrayal, whether it's betrayal from a spouse who may have pornography or sex addiction or from the emotional betrayal of an affair. I would encourage any woman who may be dealing with... Um, 
Betrayal Trauma to go to bloomforwomen.com and use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, gives you one month free access to their evidence-based programs and their community that's designed to help heal and recover from betrayal trauma. So uh, let let me get back to the show. All right. So integrity, we've identified character, that character, our moral and ethical code. Integrity is then acting upon our character, acting with integrity. Um, I thought it would be good to talk about just one other thing that kind of gets thrown into the mix, and that's this concept of personality traits. And I found a great article on Psychology Today where someone had talked about going to a job interview. And I, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to hire somebody or if you've even been in a job interview, maybe you can relate um, where this person talked about just finding someone they interviewed to just be passionate and energetic, intelligent, engaging, and prepared. And so they, the person doing the interviewing said that they just felt like this person was the, the exact person that they needed. And um, they had to say, they had to remind themselves, though, to remain cautious because they, they said it's so easy to confuse personality with character and how crucial it is to separate them. So then look at that, right? So uh, what's the difference? Personality then is easy to read. Personality, and we all kind of feel like we're experts at it. We judge people. Are they funny? Are they energetic? Are they optimistic? Are they confident? Are they extroverted? Or do we see people as, are they overly serious? Are they lazy? Are they negative? Are they shy when you first meet them or even when you get to know them? And oftentimes we might need more than one interaction to confirm these traits. Um, we often, this is, this is kind of if you kind of say why you feel like you have a good vibe or somebody, it oftentimes we are reacting to their personality traits. So now let's look at these three things, right? So character can take a, a while to kind of figure out because character is the core values, beliefs, or goals. Everybody, and, and everybody can say, um, in an interview, if their personality is, again, extroverted, energetic, optimistic, confident, and I'm not saying those are bad things, but a lot of times, you know, we, oh, I'm, I am honest. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly honest. But now go back to that concept of the uh, Jerusalem to Jericho study, right? Um, their, their personality is this optimistic, confident person. What is their character? What is their core belief and value? Is it at the, at the end of the day, I will be honest? And then how does their integrity show? Do they act upon those character traits? So again, character can kind of take a while to figure out. And we know now that uh, research has kind of shown that personality traits, for the most part, these are you optimistic, are you extroverted, are you overly energetic, confident, that a lot of these personality traits are determined by heredity. Um, And some are somewhat, and there's a bit of debate here, but are, are somewhat immutable. So some of those are your factory settings. The arguably more important traits of character are the ones that are kind of more malleable, though. So these character traits that are, you know, you can, the honesty, the the treating people with kindness, fairness, those sort of things. Those are the things that we can kind of develop and shift and change. Now, we can change our personality traits as well. But uh, but again, that's why a lot of us feel like, why do I feel optimistic when someone else feels pessimistic? Why am I an extrovert when someone else is an introvert? So a lot of those things we're kind of figuring out might be more in our in our DNA. And that's okay. Um, but then it's like, what do we do with those? But the character traits, those are things, again, as opposed to personality traits, your character traits, honesty, treating others well, um, that those beliefs can be changed. You can become one who works from a the character trait of honesty. If that's been something, I go back to this in and out example, those kids growing up and if they see their dad and mom constantly like, okay, where can we go get our free food tonight? Um you know, that, that at their core, their character traits, they can then turn away from 
um, feeling like that's justified and they can, they can still develop a character trait of honesty. So, and, and we do unconsciously tend to connect personality to character for basically two main reasons. We want to like people that we already like. Um, and the most reliable, the, the reliable way to assess a person's character, um, it can take time. I mean, that's the part where, okay, they present this wonderful personality. We feel like we like them. So we're going to go ahead and make this judge of character. They are a good person and getting to know them over time. And that's why you, you hear that phrase, that cliche sometimes, don't get too close to your heroes. Never know your heroes. Because typically we're seeing the personality traits. And when we kind of get to know their character, are they people that are of, uh, of strong character or do they act with integrity? So I hope you're kind of seeing how these all play together. I just thought this uh, subject was so fascinating. So let me kind of sum this up. Um, I think we covered everything that we wanted to here. So uh, here we go. Well, and I do, I found a book that's called The Integrity Chain. It's actually not one that it appears to be in print at this time, uh, but there was a, a guy named Dr. Ralph James. I did like he said the following suggestions or his suggestions on how to try to build integrity. And, and this is his book was more of a business book, actually in the construction field, I believe. But he said, and I love I love these. I highlighted a few of these. Show up on time every time. So that is uh, that is building integrity, right? So if your core belief or value is you you respect other people's time, then you're acting with integrity, showing up on time every time. Uh, I like this one. Write down things you've been requested to do, and then let the person who made the request know it's been done. So that follow through, um, that return and report concept. Uh, here's another one: keep all promises or explain the difficulty to the other party as soon as you're aware of your inability to keep the promise. This is something that I have had to work on a ton. Is uh, I was a big at overcommitting. I didn't want to let people down. So if I knew there was a conflict, I would say I can do it, and then I would think, okay, I'll figure it out down the road. But now I know that uh, if I have a conflict, a, a date on the calendar, I actually was asked to speak two different places here in a couple of weeks. And uh, my first reaction was, you bet, no problem. But the person who had asked second, I did say, hey, I'm already speaking somewhere else that day. Let me just kind of check my calendar. And sure enough, uh, the times work out. So I'm grateful for that. But instead of just saying yes and then hoping, um, I let the person, the second person know I would love to. And uh, let me check my, my schedule and get back to you. Um, here's a big one I love. I had talked with my wife about this one last night. Communicate frequently with everybody. Um, to remove doubts about the integrity of the system caused by lack of information. Be transparent. What that means to me, how that translates, communicate frequently with everyone. That's what I tuned into. I'm a big fan of if you say you're going to be there at 6.30 and it's 6.25 and you're about 10 minutes away, I think a lot of people say, yeah, it's close enough. But I feel like, especially in this day and age, um, just shoot a text and say, hey, I'm running about five minutes late. And, and I will tell you, I get that with clients a lot and I'm so grateful for it when I get a text that says, I'm running about five minutes late, then I know that instead of kind of sitting here waiting, um, I can make a quick phone call or respond to a text or emails. And so communicate frequently. That's one of these ways to build integrity. Uh, don't cover up bad news, but provide a solution to the problem. I love that one. Um, be disciplined. Uh, maintain an open door policy. So you can tell some of these have more of a business flair. Stick with people over the long haul. I love that. Uh, you know, Knowing that we are, you know, that's uh, that concept of loyalty. Here's a big one. Admit mistakes and use mistakes as an opportunity for improvement. And uh, this uh, author, Dr. Ralph James, said, as he's fond of saying, make mistakes early and often, just don't make the same mistake twice. And I do like that one. So admit mistakes, own your behavior. Um, that is part, if that is a, a true concept of integrity, acting with integrity. Uh, and then the last one he had on his list was insist on honesty in all dealings, since he says, my reputation and the reputation of his business are essential to success. And I like how he did say this. He said, I'll admit being too honest will not endear you to everyone all the time. However, they will know, and the way he puts it is that you're saying what's on your mind rather than being, quote, politically correct. 
Um, I don't know what year this book came out, but I like the concept of he he recognizes that sometimes being too honest, you may not get the deal. I remember when I was transitioning from a software company into uh, starting my own computer hardware company, I had these disk duplicators. Uh, there were often times where I would tell people, hey, I think yeah, you don't really need my device. I think there's some things out there that would do what you're trying to do much cheaper. There might be a software solution. And a couple of people got back to me early saying, wow, I was ready to spend the money, but I really appreciate your integrity. So, and that just, you know, that kind of cemented it for me. That was a long time ago. So let's wrap this up. What do you do next? So define your personal moral and ethical code or guidelines. Um, and then this is in line with maybe whether it's a personal mission statement that you might have. If at your core, you want to be honest, then honesty becomes your character trait. And now integrity is putting that in action, being honest, even when nobody's looking, giving back the change. Um, my wife told me a story about uh, an extra bar stool. So at one point when we were early married, early in our um, married life, she bought some bar stools and she was basically given two in a box and they only charged her for one. And she's like, you know, for a brief moment, it was, holy cow, that's 150 bucks. We're a struggling newlywed couple. But she, you know, credit to my wife, her integrity was not worth $150. I'm glad I wasn't in that situation at the time. Uh, so give back the change, the extra bar stool if your personality exudes honesty um, and that you put off an honest vibe or you present yourself as one who is honest. Then, uh, then your personality traits, then you're making eye contact, you're speaking directly to people, you're, you're confident, you're, so again, there's a personality trait, um, there's integrity, which is acting on the character. Character is your core belief. So a couple other examples I wrote down. If at your core you want to avoid drugs or alcohol, um, growing up, this was in incredibly important to me for a variety of reasons, a large variety of reasons, might get to on a later podcast, then that's my character trait, that that is, I am not going to, I'm not going to do drugs or alcohol. Um, so integrity then is not getting, it sounds funny as I type this, not buying drugs and alcohol when on a business trip. Because uh, I used to travel a ton in the first uh, years of after after college when I was in the software industry. And I remember that, I remember even thinking of having those thoughts of, you know, that is where I could do anything where I'm out on my own. But but my, my core value and belief goal was no drugs or alcohol. Um, and then integrity was never, never acting or buying those things, you know, and in the world of pornography addiction that I work with kind of that, that similar thing happens. We get people to a point where, uh, they are maybe traveling or they do have the trigger of, you know, quote, the crime of opportunity. Nobody's in the home. You know, they have the thought of that. They can, uh, view pornography, they can act out. And, and that's where we kind of get into, if you listen to the podcast I have on that normal to have the thoughts, they're just thoughts, learn how to have a nice mindfulness practice, move them through. Um, kind of do something different, that sort of thing. But so the, you know, the integrity then is not acting upon that, what goes against your core belief, value, or goal. And, uh, and so if your character trait is then treating everybody equally, then when you're walking in a big city and let's say you see a homeless person, um, you're not saying something disparaging. Or if you feel like you are one who likes to give to the homeless, if that's your character trait, then the integrity part is you do it even when nobody's looking because, you know, if you're doing it just because you want people to see you giving a dollar to a homeless person, then is that truly core? Is that a core belief or value? Is that, or is that more of you just trying to do something because you want people to think you are, um, you're cool or that, you know, that, that, wow, look at how impressive he is, you know, act purposefully act intentionally upon your character, upon your core values, beliefs, and goals. And I think when, if you listen, go back and listen to, I think the podcast I did on uh, ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, that, you know, I talk a lot about if, the, you know, you really want to act upon your core beliefs, values, and goals. And now we know those are your character. You act upon your character. Um, 
because that is the way, you know, any other thought or action that is that runs contrary with those core values, beliefs, or goals. Again, just a thought, not a productive thought, not a productive action. Let's move that one on through. So, hey, thank you for taking the time to uh, to um, to bear with me here on this uh, the concepts of integrity upon character and on personality. I hope that you can kind of see the difference between the three, and you'll start to notice those things. You'll notice personality traits, and maybe you'll find yourself saying, um, you know, I wonder if that person would act with integrity. And uh, when they are um, by themselves, and then I wonder what's the core character uh, belief, value, or goal of that person, or thinking of it in terms of your own, yourself. What is your integrity worth? And uh, hopefully it's not uh, worth just a couple of bucks to get a better um, deal on a movie ticket. Although that was a very judgmental statement, wasn't it? If it is, then let's work on that. You know, uh, really let's dial in your core values, beliefs, goals, see where those come from, and, uh, and then get yourself in a position where you are truly being authentic to yourself, acting upon your character beliefs, uh, acting with integrity when nobody's looking, and then presenting yourself with personality traits that exude um, the the confidence and excitement that you feel because you are true to yourself, you're true to your character, and you act with integrity. All right. Thanks again for taking the time. Uh, Saved a couple of ads for the end. Eli's Extracts, all-natural shave cream scented with essential oils. Go to Eli's, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S dot com and use coupon code VIRTUALCOUCH for 25% off your order of any size. And also uh, new new partners here, Captain Money Pants. I just love saying that. Go to CaptainMoneyPants.com or look for the Captain Money Pants app. Uh, the Money Pants app, wherever you get your apps. Uh, the Money Pants app is a tool for tech-savvy parents who want to teach their kids to work for what they get. I feel like I could just end the, the read right there. But it's a tool that's easy to use. It's powerful. It's a tool that every member of the family can use, a tool for, for all family sizes, big or small. And it leverages the family's resources. You don't have to be rich, um, but it leverages the resources that you have to achieve maximum results. Um, so say goodbye to allowances and hello to Money Pants. So thanks again for taking the time to join me. Um, We will take you out as per usual with the uh, ever-talented Aurora Florence with It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most
Heal the legs and hearts you broke 